Welcome to Brain Milk Podcast. My name is Dash McIntyre. My name is Adrian Pope. And today we're going to kind of be discussing things about the Democratic Party. We're going to uh, contemplate the thesis of uh, Democrats are fucked for 2022, the midterms. What's your uh, first take impression? Do you think Democrats have any chance of keeping uh, both <laughs> no, I think chambers of Congress? I mean, I think the no, House I think is kind of, in both. Yeah, the House is going to be gerrymandered. Um, the, you know, Republicans are already gerrymandering the shit out of their House delegations. Like Wisconsin, you know, Biden just won Wisconsin, but they're going to have like 75% Republican delegation to Congress, you know, in, in a state that like uh, Democrats have won like every time but once since the 80s or something like that. Texas is fucking uh, uh, Democrats again. Democrats are doing it a little bit in states like New York, California, and Maryland and things like that. And, um, which, I mean, Republicans are doing this every chance they get, so Democrats obviously should not uh, take down their weapons. You know, they should gerrymander the shit out of the states that they have available because Democrats are the ones saying, hey, let's stop doing this. If everyone puts down their weapons, let's have independent, uh, you know, redistricting plans. And Republicans are the ones who don't want to do that. So it's kind of, nothing's more annoying. Republicans are so good at that dirty politics of looking at Democrats and saying, oh, look, Democrats are gerrymandering Maryland. And it's like, yeah, but they don't want to. You're just forcing them to. They would rather bipartisan uh, efforts, you know, take place to, you know, end gerrymandering. But of course, Republicans don't want to do that. Well, it's very asymmetric, right? Mm -hmm. So Republicans have more control over more states. Um, Democrats are gerrymandering already strong blue states. Um, But then Republicans get to gerrymander potential purple or swing states like Ohio, uh, North Carolina, um, increasingly Texas. (laughs) So, I mean, we'll see. Maybe the uh, thousands of people leaving California for Texas may uh, finally, finally make it blue or at least purple. Well, Uh, and another important thing is that like within states, because, uh, you know, Democratic voters are concentrated in so many cities, like outside of uh, the gerrymandered national uh, districting map, actually individual states are even more gerrymandered. Like Republicans have more control because of all of these rural districts that then they carve up these cities <laughs> you know like if you actually look at the state um you know uh carving up of all the big cities in texas it's kind of like uh, offensively obvious like what they've done to just like destroy the political power of cities well look at pennsylvania so pennsylvania currently has a um democratic governor and uh governor wolf uh one of uh their senators is a democrat there's another democrat who has a strong chance of winning the republican who's um stepping down this year or after you know this coming election and the state government is a very strong red very strong republican so i mean that's kind of weird anytime there's a state with a you know, a Democratic governor, but a clearly Republican-dominated uh, legislature. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you can kind of tell there's some uh, political well, especially like, on. Yeah, especially when a state is, like, consistently Republican-dominated at the state level, despite the fact that, like, one senator or two or occasionally the governor is a Democrat. Um, kind of strange. Um, yeah, gerrymandering, I think, is going to fuck over Democrats. And I don't think... I don't think there's anything Democrats can really do for the uh, the House. I think, you know, just given the historical trends of the, you know, uh, power, the party in power um, losing, <laughs> you know, how many seats did Obama lose in 2010, like 63 or something like that? Um, I think uh, we're probably in for something similar. What do you think? Yeah, 
uh, obviously the the kind of bellwether or like warning sign right now is the recent uh, loss that Democrats faced in Virginia. And, um, you know, there's a, there were a lot of takes on why Democrats lost that. Uh, I guess we can discuss some of them because a lot of them seem they seem kind of dumb. I guess like to start off, the historical record is that 11 of 12 Virginia governor races were lost by the party who last won the White House. So, I mean, when it's 11 out of 12, that kind of becomes like a like a little bit self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, a little bit. And it becomes more than just correlation. Um, I guess maybe something about that state. I mean, I think a lot of voters do that in general, which is kind of frustrating that like when one party has total control, like right now the Democrats do, I think like the natural inclination for a lot of like independent voters or maybe low information voters who are maybe kind of apathetic outside of like election time voting, they kind of think, well, let's, you know, let, let's not give one side all the power. Let's have a check and balance. And I guess that like kind of works in theory, but obviously with our hyperpartisan politics that we have today, that doesn't work. You know, maybe you know, like in the '80s with like the kind of famous congressional uh, deal making, um, like Tip O'Neill and in, in the Congress and everything like that. Like maybe that would that would hold when you weren't so hyperpartisan. Uh, but everything's so polarized now. I mean, it's like if if Democrats, do you think part of the problem? What's do you that? think part of the problem is just that? Um, when people vote for the president, they think all their problems are going to be solved if their guy wins. So, like the the fact that people are unhappy with the way the country is going after Biden's been in office for just like not even a year uh, is kind of childish and immature. If like you, I mean, it really goes to show how most people don't know how the government works because the president actually doesn't have a lot of power, which actually every president can talk about kind of sucks. <laughs> like yeah. when you become president and then suddenly you're still begging Congress to do things that you want and even people in your own party to go along with things you want to do. Um, so I think the, the idea that like somehow Biden was going to automatically make everything better, including a global pandem uh, pandemic that's still raging and then supply issues from, you know, quarantines and, you know, uh, different factories around the world being closed because of COVID precautions and stuff. Like, I think it's childish and immature to think the country would be exactly the way you wanted it to be within a couple of months of Biden taking over. Yeah, it's kind of an infantile, uh, like, interpretation of politics to just say, well, our guy won and I don't have to do anything or care anymore or pay attention anymore. Or my guy won and, you know, now everything's not perfect immediately. So fuck my guy, you know. Um, yeah, but which of is course, funny because I think that's something that happens way more on the Democratic side than the Republican side. Oh, yeah. Side because, Republican, yeah, Democrats you know, get fucked over by their voters a lot. I mean, because, but I mean, like another thing is like it's a midterm election, so there's no, you're not voting for the president. So a lot of people who kind of have to take off work and make kind of a big inconvenient uh, trek to go vote are less likely to, to do it. Uh, I think uh, the Republican, uh, Youngkin, he got somewhere in the mid 80s, I think, of uh, voter participation. Like he got maybe like 85% somewhere in there of uh, uh, Donald Trump's vote share. So I think Republicans still had a lot of enthusiasm, but I mean, Biden won by like a 10 point swing, you know, in 20, uh, or he won by 10 points. So that's a huge swing of Democrats who just stayed home. And uh, it, it, that's what it's that's why it's so frustrating. It's like Democratic voters don't go out of their way to vote in midterms a lot. And there's a lot of socioeconomic reasons for that. But it's like you just voted for Biden and like the Build Back Better plan, you know, Democrats in Congress by a 10 point margin, like on the, you know, the presidential ticket. And now 
Uh, it's so weird to think that like Virginia voters would be so for Biden, and then at the, on the other hand, like just a year later, say, eh, whatever, I don't really care about liberalism. Let's get the Republican in. Like that's so random. Like Youngkin is going to go out of his way to like fuck over Democrat efforts to extend, uh, you know, health care coverage. He, he's going to fuck over, and you know, who knows what he'll do. He seems kind of moderate, which I guess is nice. He's not like a total lunatic Republican, but I mean, like, who knows how much federal money he's going to refuse to take from a Democratic president for Virginia? Who who knows what kinds of things he's gonna veto and block and the, you know the state legislature it's just weird like outside of the just the like the enthusiasm and like the lack of caring and the apathy in a midterm election like it makes no sense politically for the state to swing so wildly at least in my uh you know my untrained uh, eyes i guess yeah um here's something i've been curious about and thinking about a lot lately is the extent to which i think uh maybe it would actually benefit democrats at the local level if the democrats didn't try to have the federal government do everything for the political party and like what i mean by that is like for example think of the debate over the minimum wage like democrats for 10 years haven't been able to raise it by you know even a quarter from its like paltry 725 or eight dollars whatever it is i think it's 725 right yeah, I think nationally. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, every Republican and all conservatives everywhere scream about socialism, communism. <laughs> you know, imagine that raising the minimum wage by like a 50 cents or a dollar is somehow socialism and communism. I wonder if that's something Democrats should just punt and say, you know what, if you want the minimum wage raised, you should vote in your local election and then vote for a Democrat to change it in your state because the federal government's not going to do it. And I wonder if that might actually incentivize Democrats who I think have a tendency to think that the federal government can just do all kinds of things to promote a better, more progressive society when in fact they can't. And I wonder if that almost like feeds the fuel for the Republican fire that hates them. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? That's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, but uh, yeah, that I makes sense. Think. I think about that a lot in terms of like return, like having Democrats to do more of like a state's uh, laboratory kind of plan where like all of the well, Democrats force Democrats to vote in local elections and say, if you want like, oh, every election you scream about having um, minimum wage go up and you know, that's an important part of every Democratic, you know, platform every four years. I wonder to what extent if, you know, they just said this is a state issue. And if you're a Democrat and want this to happen in your state, you have to vote in the local election. I guess. I just because... think Republicans have so many more state legislatures, though, you know. I think a lot of the reason that for this is that Democrats well, the just only, don't the have reason state that happens, power. Though, I think the reason that happens though, is so many Democrats literally don't vote enough presidential elections. And I think, I wonder if there's a difference in political uh, psyche on what they want government to do. For example, like, why would you vote for Obama in 2008 for like hope and change and, you know, to, to change the status quo and bring in someone new, like, an, you know, relatively like new up and coming outsider like Obama and then just not vote in 2010 or vote in 2014. You know, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think it's because a lot of Democratic voters literally think, well, the federal government can just solve everything for us. And then I think that's why they get so angry in off election years is because they vote in a Democrat and then they don't automatically fix everything. Yeah, that's and a then good they point. get pissed and don't vote. Yeah, I think about that a lot because I think overall the biggest thing about elections and it's like different for us who pays we pay a lot of attention to politics, but most people don't. Like the vast majority of people who vote like have no clue in which case like the elections really do become about enthusiasm, like who which side gets the most voters like amped to go vote. 
And uh, I think that probably has a big part of it. Because this is something I always think, like, at election time, you hear, like, interviews with, like, uh, like his different, like, demographics of voters, like Hispanics or Asians, uh, the black vote, you know, being uh, taking, uh, um, they're just taking for granted. Or Hispanic voters will say, well, no one talked to us. And that, that always seemed weird to me because, obviously, I pay a lot of, you know, very close attention to politics. But that seems so weird. Like, no one ever has come to me. Like, I don't pick up any calls from random numbers and get asked about, like, the issues and get told to go vote for somebody. But I just pay attention and I have an opinion and then I vote on which, you know, obviously I keep voting for Democrats because I'm more of a liberal person. What do you think about that? Like, do you think part of it is just like our country is, I mean, without getting into all the reasons why we're apathetic, it's obviously a fact that, like, half of us half americans don't vote you know maybe even maybe only a third of americans vote in midterms but it's like that expectation well no one came to me and no one told me and no one asked me to vote no one came and talked to me and tried to get me to vote but it's like don't i mean i don't know what do you think about that that like that level of apathy and obviously this affects democrats more um what do you think about all of this well the apathetic thing is interesting because i mean part of it's our electoral system for example if we really had a mechanism electorally by which more than just the Democrats or Republicans could get election or sorry elected while the amount of independents who don't subscribe to either party actually outnumber both Democrat and Republican could have a plurality so I mean that right there is probably part of it the fact that a third party could literally win an election hypothetically but can't because of our electoral system um, which is actually something that's interesting because like the Andrew Yang um, Ford party Right is uh, trying to change that by having um, different kinds of ballot schemes, like, for example, having uh, schemes where you can vote for multiple people and then you have ranked choice voting. So they start knocking off people who get the least amount of votes and then it changes who could have a majority or plurality and then win the election. Um, That's kind of interesting right there. Um, Other than that, though, I mean, as far as just how people are apathetic, I think it's people literally don't understand how government works. Um, Like when you think of all the government programs and stuff that are out there, most people don't even know programs that they, you know, qualify for. A lot of people, you know, especially with taxes, they don't realize the extent to which Democrats like aren't just taxing them on things. You know, that's like one of the biggest complaints is that nothing ever changes. Like all we do is pay taxes. We don't get anything from it. I think a lot of that apathy is from that people don't understand the tax benefits they get. They don't understand what taxes are actually going to and the ways they benefit from them. So I think it's just a lot, I guess to answer your question most simply, I think it's just a massive amount of um, ignorance on how the country and government actually work and function. Well, what do you think Democrats can do about that to fix that? Because I mean, like, this is something we talk about how like, there's no... Well, I mean, I don't think that's a Democrat problem. I think that's just a... That's a societal problem, right? That people don't give a shit and that they probably spend too much time on TikTok and Instagram versus, you know, actually trying to figure out what's going on in the world. Yeah, but I mean, to some degree, there's like a layer of mainstream media that filters out into all these things like the Yahoo front page, MSN front page, you know, snippets on, uh, you know, um, cable news and TV. If people are flipping through channels, you go to the gym and all the political channels are on. But it's like... There's, you know, Democrats can't get their, you know, it's like the infrastructure plan, right? How many Republicans are going to go and well, just I think brag? Point. Of- it's like the, sorry to interrupt, but I think that's like the media's fault, right? Because the media acts like they are... Um, well, how do you giving- fix that, though? Because the media itself, I mean, nowadays, like, there's random, like, 17-year-olds on YouTube and TikTok that are bigger than CNN in terms of, like, how many people they reach. 
day to day. Like the media landscape is changing so dramatically. I mean, increasingly, like there's no reason for any young person to have any access to cable news, right? So even Fox News, yeah. CNN, MSNBC, like once you get to like age, like I'm uh, 30, I don't have, you know, I don't pay for that TV. I pay attention to a, a little bit on like Sirius XM, but I mean, how many people are listening to like CNN or MSNBC on uh, like, you know, satellite radio in their car instead of listening to music? And nowadays, you know, like Joe Rogan's <laughs> podcast is massive, but like, you know, CNN would love to reach that many people on a, you know, on a consistent basis or whatever. And he's not really politically minded. You know, sometimes he, <laughs> you know, dabbles a little bit and kind of like not reality based <laughs> ideas and things like that. But I mean, like, how, I don't know, is there any, like, is there any solution or are we just like kind of fucked because, you know, the apathy is just getting deeper and deeper and more entrenched as people are, you know, slipping from any kind of mainstream uh, consensus based reality, like in politics and news in general? Well, I think that just goes back to the point that people want problems solved instantly, right? Like, um, when people talk about taxing the rich more, I mean, like, you can't just do that. Like, you have to have Congress do something. And, like, that's a process in of itself. And so, like, when you're mad at Biden for not taxing people more, like the rich more, or, like, getting mad, like, that Elon Musk is worth $300 billion, like, there is no easy fix to that that, like, is instantaneous. And, like, the normal... And that's, like, another thing. The only way you address some of these issues are things that are going to make people bored, turned off, and apathetic because they don't want to listen to c-span and watch you know these 60 and 70 and 80 year old you know senators debate the merits of individual tax like uh as, you know aspects of the tax law and like who's going to be affected i mean like <laughs> yeah, that yeah. just immediately yeah at so what it's level like, the corn subsidy goes for farmers <laughs> who are making 30 percent of profit in quarter three you know it's like all the real arcane things where you like politically demarcate in the law like wh what happens when <laughs> you know yeah, like, and, and that's, like, the weird thing, too. So, like, you have people who are, like, giving the news on, like, TikTok or YouTube, which is obviously not a particularly good medium for very detailed, long, in-depth conversations or coverage about the news. So you have these people who are watching shorter. I mean, look at CNN, for example. I mean, CNN is a great example. When you have these, like, tiny little sound bites that are punctuated by ads, because that's, like, the whole point that people are on CNN for is to sell advertisements. So, like, you know, even a thing like CNN, which is like a traditionally respected, traditionally like, you know, normal or quote unquote mainstream source of media, like they can't, they're incapable. Their format is literally incapable of talking substantively about anything. So then like, okay, so if you're not gonna watch CNN on network television and you're gonna move to YouTube or TikTok, like that's even shorter time scale for people's attention. So like, that's the problem. It's like people complain about everything and then they don't even know what's going on and they don't even read media or news that's like functionally capable of telling them what's really going on. Yeah, that's right? so true. Like, that's for, why conspiracies are pro, uh, like are everywhere now. And like every conspiracy is like jumping up in numbers. It's like it's so easy to believe in conspiracies when you don't know how anything works. <laughs> you know, it's not good for society. Well, it's not even conspiracy theory, like, right? Like libertarians are always talking about like, oh, the gold standard, the gold standard, the gold standard. And it's like you're OK, like you're probably not listening to any type of media that could adequately explain why like your economic policies are stupid or like when people talk about, oh, capitalism's over, we're in late stage capitalism, it's going to collapse and eat itself. It's like, OK, you're not going to get a value like a, you're not going to get a educated, thought out, 
detailed explanation of why that's probably not true on TikTok. So if that's where you spend 80% of your social media time and the other 20% on Facebook, like you're literally not going to hear any quality news that's capable of telling you what you need to know. Yeah. Do you think our society and like, or maybe more importantly, like our government is just spiraling out of control now because we've had like the same constitution for um, like too long and like we don't have enough changes and now our political system is like getting like I don't think do you, I mean I don't like do think you think it's like the do you think we need like radical change though and like no. I, you know not with no I'll tell you why I think I think. You know, like, like for example, this infrastructure bill, right? Like, the fact that they got, what was it, like, 17 or 18 or 19 Republicans to vote for it. But I think, I don't think the problem is a constitution. I think it's, like, some of our elected leaders right now and the incentive. I mean, that's, like, credit to Andrew Yang and his, like, description of our political malaise right now is that, like, the, the actual interests and incentives for our political leaders are flawed and lead to the outcomes we're seeing. So I don't think it's necessarily the Constitution. I think when you look back at like the way our Constitution was designed, it obviously was designed by people who did not intend there for, be to, uh, for there to be political parties. And they had no idea the way politics, I think, would end up going in the, you know, late 1800s and 1900s and, you know, 20th century especially not the 21st century. So I think one of the biggest deal is just the fact that like you have issues that have clear majorities of American uh, public support, like, for example, like just bo- like, you know, common sense gun legislation, basically saying that you, maybe you shouldn't be able to buy a gun, no questions asked at a gun sale or, you know, a gun, uh, a gun show. And it's like the fact that you can't get 10 Republican senators to go along with what a majority of the American people want. I think that is the only problem we have. The fact that like, I mean, you can talk about incentives, you can talk about like our hyperpartisanship, but the fact that like you can't get 10 individuals in a legislative body to give a shit about their country and not go against Donald Trump is like really, I think, 100% of the problem. Well, sir, I mean, okay, I should say 99% of the problem. Well, how do we change that with the elections? Because right now what we're seeing is basically like Mitch McConnell basically like realized, well, with first past supposed voting and a two-party system, there is no reason or incentive for us to do anything with the other side because anything that we do for them will give them a win and, you know, make it harder for us to win again. So technically everything that we're yeah. doing right now is just like the natural you know, ultimately obvious, if in bad faith way to like govern and, you know, lead a political party. Right. Well, that's the question, right? Uh, Do we have the elected leaders we deserve? (laughs) And I think maybe the answer is yes, because the fact (laughs) does anyone deserve Mitch McConnell or Ted Cruz? (laughs) (laughs) Are are you going on record saying someone deserves Ted Cruz? (laughs) Well, here's what I'll say. And like, for example, (laughs) you know, when you're an 80 five-year-old and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna you know not mention any names specifically but let's say uh, you're just an diane feinstein chuck grassley yeah. i'll say him for yeah. you <laughs> let's say you're an 80 year old senator who has won a re-election in the senate three or four times you've been there since the fucking 80s or 90s and like you will not sacrifice your political career and spend time with your fucking grandkids and great grandkids by you know basically trying to hold Trump accountable, the fact that you would not do that and not sacrifice your political career to do the right thing and put country first. I mean, that, I mean, I think really the biggest problem is just we have a bunch of terrible people in positions of power. Like, like Chuck Grassley just like bent over backwards to get Donald Trump's, um, you know, uh, endorsement 
as like how old is he like 90 or 89 years old or something and he's running for okay that and that's another problem right there i mean think indirectly is the fact that we have someone who's 90 fucking years old running for re-election in the senate like yeah, when you're born in the 1930s maybe you shouldn't be <laughs> yeah. in the senate anymore yeah. if you die while in office from old age um something went wrong <laughs> democratic well i mean and this is something that's not I will say this, this is an asymmetric problem because like if you go back to 2008 and 2009 and 2010, you had massive amounts of Democrats who won seats in the House with Barack Obama who had no real reason to have those seats other than it was a huge Democratic wave election. And they basically sacrificed all of their brand new political careers to vote for the Affordable Care Act knowing that they would lose, and they did, right? So this is an asymmetric problem where Democrats are typically... And I, you know, you know, I don't, I shouldn't say this as a blanket statement. It wouldn't be fair to Republicans or the Democratic Party, but I think one political party is much more likely to actually put country first than the other. Oh, hundred percent. Problem. I mean, look at it in terms of the debt, the, all these fiscal cliffs we keep going up into with the debt ceiling. Like when Trump was president, Democrats did not make a big deal about the debt ceiling after eight years of Republicans holding that over Obama's head with like a gun to America's, you know, you know, uh, temple. Uh, threatening to shoot and go over the fiscal cliff. Democrats don't do it with Trump. And now, you know, Biden is in office and Mitch McConnell is, of course, <laughs> trying to make that happen. It was like just a fluke because of politics and like the timing of everything that they didn't do it this last time, but they kicked the can down the road like six months or whatever. So the fiscal cliff is, you know, like, uh, you know, coming again very shortly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, in, in terms of like the, the disproportionate level of cynicism and, uh, maybe just evil partisanship yeah the parties are not evil. the same <laughs> i think maybe you can credibly call it evil when it's so clearly putting other yeah. interests before the or country yeah or the supreme people. court you know the fact that mitch mcconnell said we're not gonna seat a uh you know in the in the last year before an election we'll not seat a uh, supreme court judge and then it was like what like eight days before the election they sat uh the latest judge <laughs> Well, here's a weird thing. So, and, and this goes back to my point earlier about changing how we think of the federal government and maybe pushing more um, more policies and uh, regulations and like different programs to the states. For example, when you think of like grants, like in in in, and I I, mean, I just read about this, so I don't want to go too much into the detail of a history lesson. But in like the '60s, with the Great Society, you had the federal government basically going over states' heads and basically funding all these tiny little local community programs. And then, you know, over the 70s, Republicans like Ford and Nixon, they started basically saying like, or I should say Nixon and then Ford and then Reagan, you know, they basically decided, well, we're just going to give grants to states and just let them do it. Like, why is the federal government picking all these, you know, local government programs and giving them money? Why don't we just let the states do it? They're closer to local government. And then by the time you get to Reagan, you know, a big reason they basically started cutting a lot of federal funding is like, well, we're taxing all these people people and then we're just turning around and giving money to state governments to do what they want with no strings attached with these giant block grants like why don't we just stop doing that and just let the states do it now i think obviously that led to terrible problems because a lot of states did not pick up the slack of the federal government and didn't actually fund the programs the way you know democrats might have intended or wanted with these block grants but republicans didn't even care so in that way i mean i wonder if to what extent should democrats just cut their losses and stop trying to fix and solve every problem in the country using the federal government like if republicans don't you know and i think of it this way right let's just get rid of lots of block grants 
cut taxes, have a fucking balanced um, uh, budget, and let the Democrats take credit for that, and just say, okay, Republican states, if you don't want to give any money whatsoever to any good progressive program that helps people's lives, like, okay, you can face people who will vote you out, hopefully, right? I wonder if that might be a solution to some of this political malaise, is that, you know, Democratic states you know, already have income taxes. A lot of Republican states brag that they don't. That's why some rich people move there, right? Like states like Florida have no income tax whatsoever. So like, you know, there's a reason, you know, certain states have shittier outcomes in almost every metric than others. I wonder if that could be another way to force basically Democrats to actually vote in local elections, because like if the federal government's not going to solve every problem, which clearly leads to massive amounts of Republican resentment, hate, and then political backlash, like, you know, we already know that tons of states that give a shit about their people will pick up the slack with the federal government, you know, you know, drops it basically. Um, and, and that goes back to the conversation earlier about like the minimum wage, like force states to raise their own minimum wage. If Alabama wants to go to 2070 before they raise the minimum wage from $7.25, like fucking let them, right? I don't know if that's the, like should Democrats be continuously losing federal elections just to make people's lives better in ways that clearly a large <laughs> chunk, sometimes a majority of the country actually hates? Yeah. Like fuck it, you know what I mean? No, that's an interesting idea. It's like putting uh, people, you know, putting their money where their mouth is. Like if, you know, the federal government decides, all right, fine, if we're going to keep losing elections, let's just cut back a little bit. And then, uh, you know, I don't know, it'd be a good incentive to get people in like in Arkansas, Oklahoma, you know, it's like the the Bible belt that is like also the obesity belt and like the child mortality <laughs> belt, like all the terrible yeah. belts of America that kind of run from like North Carolina into like Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, like, you know, those are like the darkest red danger zones of like all these issues of like literacy, health, things like that. Um, yeah, it would be interesting if the, <laughs> if the federal government cut back and now these states don't get the free money that Democrats give them when, you know, Democrats are in office and want to help people. And, uh, you know, I guess the, the counter argument to that is now you're going to hurt so many people. But I mean, I don't know. Wouldn't that be a, like a, a useful like course correction where you get people in these states to actually start realizing, holy shit, the federal government did do a lot. Now our lives suck even worse and there's no hope for improvement. Let's actually get involved, vote and uh, participate and actually get well, libertarians will call it freedom. <laughs> yeah, right. Libertarians will call it freedom. Right. But I mean, I think that's an interesting dynamic, too. Like, for example, when you think of like something like I mean, I mean, this is kind of like a very specific example. So I don't mean this like individually as like the means and, and, and the sole benefit for doing something like this. But look at something like the EPA, right? The EPA like serves a function of protecting the environment and basically protecting people from themselves in terms of like literally dumping sewage and waste and chemicals into our own rivers that we drink out of, right? So for example, like when you look at the Republican Party that basically doesn't give a shit about the EPA and cuts its funding or wants to cut their funding every time they come into power or they put people like the administration, <laughs> like they Republican start cutting every regulation they can. Yeah, Republican administrators of the EPA purposely try to thwart and undermine the EPA, right? So like if you you think if you care about global warming or you care about clean drinking water like are you going to lose the federal election for president and and lose control over who administers the epa because you wanted to raise minimum wage for poor people in fucking alabama like hey new york massachusetts california like states where it really matters to have higher minimum wage they've already raised it you know there's even republican states that have raised minimum wage like why is this a federal issue and 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 i mean that's like one of the 
I don't know. That's just one way of thinking about it, right? And and there's other examples too. Like if you're mad, like let's say you hated the Iraq war and hated Afghan, like you hate the country constantly going to war for stupid shit. And like Republicans now are talking about invading Iran to show American might, you know? And, and, and because you have, you know, when you're the president, you don't want to look bad. You're going to try to, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling here, but the same thing. Like, if if you care about how the military is used, why are you going to lose control, Democrats? Why are you going to lose control of how the military is used? Or like, for example, thinking of the State Department and our multilateral agreements to combat issues like you know global warming or you know trafficking of human persons. Like all these different issues, are you going to lose control of that because you wanted the 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 Education Department to force states to try to you know teach critical race theory like yeah. that's a stupid reason to lose a federal election right that's a good point because going into cult like all of these culture battle things uh we talk about this a lot that like again it, you want democrats in office but like why are you gonna uh, like risk democrats losing the entire government because like you get on the debate stage and every democrat has to raise their hand saying that they'll allow like illegal immigrants who have been in prison to get sex changes like and use you know federal dollars for that like why is that something we need to like out compete each other on who's yeah, the most woke for the primary and then, yeah and then like lose the entire election to donald trump or whatever like how well, is that and that would be a that would be very politically expedient too for Democrats, especially primarying or running in you know general election seasons. Is that you know take the most stupid woke issue, and I shouldn't say stupid, but take the most the the most woke issue that most Republicans say they're going to vote against, and if you have every Democrat just say I don't care, this is a state issue. I don't care, this is a state issue, and not have to answer for it in a way that's publicly available to 330 million Americans that make you look crazy, like saying that you're going to use federal money to allow convicted felons or you know murderers to get sex changes in prison. <laughs> yeah. Like just say I don't care, state issue. Next question. Like yeah, like. Well, that's an interesting idea, though. How, to, how would you, how, like, wouldn't you get bogged down in the primary and just not win a primary then? Like, because now we're starting to get the point where, like, the equal and opposite reaction to, like, straight up fascists in the Republican primary and white supremacists is you get these, like, hyper, hyper, like, self destructively woke people in the, like, in the Democratic primary. So, like, how, like, I don't know, what would happen then if, like, then, you know, the person who wins the primary is the person who goes out of their way to go deep into the, di- like, the dives deep into the, the, the deep end of all these issues. Well, I mean, I guess in some ways that, you know, earlier I kind of said that they're like, you know, the single biggest issue or only issue is that we have a bunch of fucking cowards in Congress. But I think that is an issue where like we have this weird system of primaries where like only the most committed Democrats and Republicans vote in these primaries, which probably fuels some of the apathy because like independents are just like, how do we fucking end up with these two people? Now, normally I think they're wrong. <laughs> like I think like, for example, like the last couple elections, I don't know if Biden and Hillary Clinton were literally the lesser of two evils because I wouldn't really call them evil. Yeah. or the devil you know so i think to some degree independents are just like crybabies who you know want some glorified savior or jesus christ to come down and you know rescue the country from everything they think is wrong but like you know the fact is that like that's kind of weird right where like you have only the most crazy republican and democrats actually voting in these primaries and then so like you know who we actually get is really just a system of or the result of that weird system yeah yeah, to some degree, yeah. I mean, that's true. That, But that's one thing I hate. Like, Hillary Clinton, like, Republicans respected her in the Senate. She had a million plans for everything. All of these instrument, like incremental things that would have the instrumental reforms that we need. 
And then, I don't know, it's just like, but everything comes back to, like, my biggest problem with our political situation is just that Democrats don't have any kind of, like, straight funnel of media uh, influence like Republicans do with Fox News. And now even with, like, OAN and Newsmax, I mean, it used to be, like, even Fox News had some lawyers that said, we can't get into this or say that. But OAN and Newsmax, I mean, they're just, that's just like, they, they're, like, competing to be, like, you know, Kim Jong-un level of state media. Like, I yeah, mean, but Democrats don't have any of that. I mean, you could have every Democrat every day go on CNN and MSNBC doing the stuff. And then CNN and MSNBC are still going to interview people like fucking Stephen Miller or Eric Trump and get their, you know, well, maybe not CNN would do that. But, you know, get get these idiots that are just kind of partisan. And like there's no I mean, crooked media like kind of does this a little bit. But obviously they don't have like the straight up appeal and just mass blanket, you know, like carpet bombing of media narrative like Fox News does. But that's like the biggest well, I mean, thing. That's like Democrats weird can't do life. anything. Even they're like literally, you know, Obama. You know, like how do you 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 have these graphs where like the economic recovery from Obama is like a forty-five degree angle, like perfectly, you know, uh, perfectly incremental every month. More jobs, more money, more savings. The stock market going up, and it's like, how does that not win like Hillary Clinton another election? That you just had eight straight years of steady growth and recovery from like this massive clusterfuck a bomb on the economy, society, <laughs> and our global kind of national presence abroad, uh, like in foreign policy and everything. Like, how do you not win an election? And it's like now it's like Virginia, right? Like they did all these important things like New Jersey. That guy almost lost. He did all these important things for like healthcare and economic growth and like infrastructure at the state level and all of these things. And like it's just stable and you don't have like people getting into the weeds on these dumb, hyperinflated, unnecessary culture war distractions and diversions. Like how how does like good governance just well, not get a chance to win elections? Well, I think that's the market forces of media, right? You see this at the, you know, quote unquote mainstream, you know, which I hate kind of saying because like, I don't, I don't know if there's really that many mainstream sources of media, but you definitely see this with like new people, like uh, independent media types who think they're better than like mainstream media, but like really are just giving their, you know, opinions on shit. Like, I, I mean, it, it's weird, right? So CNN and all those like uh, mainstream media things, like they have to report on the news itself. No one's gonna fucking watch, you know, Brian Williams or anyone else just talk about the slow bureaucratic maneuvers being done by Biden's people that he appointed in the cabinet. Like, okay, here's a, here's a great example. When's the last time you ever fucking heard a story about any cabinet official anywhere with the maybe a small exception for Pete Buttigieg? Like how many Americans can name a single member of Biden's cabinet. Well, they're the ones actually fucking doing most of the work in the federal government, right? They're the ones actually overseeing things like the the Department of Transportation or Human and Health Services, which do a lot of important things, or like the EPA, right? I mean, you obviously hear about the EPA when the you know Republicans and in industry lobbyists scream about how not polluting the air is going to hurt their bottom line. <laughs> yeah, but like you know that's a unique example. But like you know, think of the average independent who's unhappy about the way the things are going in this country can they name a single department uh head of any um department uh cabinet um that's kind of a weird way to say that but uh any any leader of any cabinet um you know uh, uh office i mean the answer is probably no right yeah like trump's i don't know why trump's i struggled department to say of that transportation so <laughs> uh you know, the Department of Transportation under Trump was Elaine Chow, Elaine right? Chow. Mitch McConnell's uh, wife. I don't know a fucking single thing she did. I can't tell you. 
granted, I mean, when Republicans take over, they kind of, you know, it's like Scott Perry, you know, wanting to get rid of the fucking energy department that he ended up leading. It's like Republicans kind of like their whole goal of getting into a uh, governmental oversight or like administrative position is to like either kill it and increase their own like, you know, private sector stock holdings because they come from the sector that profits off of like the inability of the government to you know get in their way and their of their bottom line and things like that but i don't know it, it is sad like i wish the media would do that like especially now because it's like you know if biden well, doesn't sell that, anything what's that that's the problem is like if, if the media actually reported adequately about what's going on in government no one would fucking listen you would use cnn to fall asleep right well i don't think that's necessarily true like when build up if build back better passes like what if every day we just had a graph on like what new train link is now getting increased or what new highway is about to be built or what new rickety bridge that's like in danger of like killing a hundred people some random morning <laughs> you know like is going to be replaced and things like that like it would be nice if you had that but i guess it i mean but it doesn't this is i i guess you're right like it just would never sell well, in I mean, the media you can, go, you can go to the federal government website and you can probably go to the department of transportation website and you can look at ongoing projects and like you can go on the epa and look at like different rules being proposed yeah. in the federal register but who who is going to do that other than people who are just like yeah. news junkies politics junkies and people who are like just curious or just like have too much free time you know but i wonder if it is it like a laziness thing because i was listening to uh cnn like a little bit this week and like cnn and msnbc they're just like doing live coverage of that uh kenosha wisconsin shooters trial like is that really the biggest news right now that like they're like back to back to back shows like that's all like b block or c block of their content you know i hate well, when I mean, you, that right there that right there is a fucking great example of of something that's probably truer than most people think is that like things aren't that bad Right. If if all of the media is talking about one criminal court case going on in fucking Kenosha, Wisconsin, like things are going pretty good. Right. Mm -hmm. COVID is no longer killing three to four or five thousand people a day. And we have the and the media has the space and attention towards like one or two court cases going on. Right. Now, obviously, those court cases are indicative of something pretty fucked up. Right. You have two white people just killing black people and that's fucked up. And that happens all the time in America. That's a huge problem. We need to address that. Right. But the fact that like day in and day out, like you're talking about, like I hear this all the time, like every fucking morning I'm listening to podcasts and, and part of their podcast is talking about that court case. Well, things must be going pretty good. Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's no. It does, loose although nukes. even there's, that, there's a, there's a hold on. There's a double. There's a double standard because, like, immediately right now with inflation, that's a big thing that everyone's talking about. Oh, inflation, this, inflation, that. Like, I hate that. That that's like a double standard. That only when Democrats take over do we talk about the negativity. Like when Tr Donald Trump was president, all you hear about is the stock market's going up, the stock market's going up, and you have all these commentators saying, "Well, all these problems that are not being addressed in any way. Well, you you can't argue with the results. The stock market's going up, and then." A democrat takes over and then it's like back to like into the trenches of like things aren't perfect for everybody middle class people are suffering and it's like you know it's like all these dumb interviews with trump voters at diners on like highway exits you know talking to like yeah. random truckers <laughs> who listen to like talk like sean hannity's radio show all day every day like that's so fucking frustrating because the same exact thing is happening right now the stock market is only going up right 
Do you hear Democrats or Biden like saying, oh, look at us, best stock market of all time, greatest economy in human history. No, all we hear about is inflation. And, you know, it's, again, it's like all of the supply chain stuff that like you get all the Trump people saying, we never heard of that when we were president. It's like, bitch, that it started when Trump was president, right? Everyone <laughs> yeah. was hoarding toilet paper. We ran out of hand sanitizer. We didn't have enough PPE and protection from COVID at hospitals and nurses. And they were like covering their heads in like garbage bags. Like, fuck off. We're using the same mask, like, for a week straight. Right. I mean, there's a double standard, obviously. I mean, there's a difference in expectation between when a Democrat's president and a Republican's president. I mean, especially with Trump, right? Trump is, like, the quick... I mean, that's the thing, like... I mean, mean, how, how would... Think of it this way. How would the media even report what Trump was doing? I don't, my personal opinion is that Trump probably couldn't have explained much of what was going on around him. Like, I don't think Trump understands how bureaucracy works. He probably doesn't understand the finer details of administrative uh, oversight. Uh, I shouldn't say administrative yeah. oversight, but administration, really just administration. Like, you know, the fact that he had a whole, like, do you think Trump could explain what was Elaine Chao was doing? No, of course not. Yeah. Hell no. I had, yeah. this, I had this argument with some guy who was like relatively smart. I forget where and who just some guy i was maybe working with like one day were you about to call him out or something no no, no. he was we were just kind of talking and like talking you know normal stuff and like eventually like uh-huh. he brings up politics and like he got to the point basically saying that like he thinks that like there's more to trump than meets the eye and he had a strategy and a plan and then i started like kind of like you know playfully at first pushing back but then i got to a point where i'm like i you know what no like how is there a plan donald trump is just a fucking idiot. He's too stupid. He's constantly, you know, he's got this like uh, superlative dialogue and can't describe anything except saying bad, terrific, amazing, the best ever, right? He had no fucking, yeah, he couldn't discuss any issue in uh, detail. Um, he went out of his way to say things like, who knew healthcare could be complicated? Who knew this could be complicated? You know, all these things that everybody fucking knows, right? They didn't, he didn't do anything. He never made infrastructure happen. He didn't make, you know, he single-handedly killed the Republicans. Like they had a good chance to repeal Obamacare, but he fucked it up just promising different things to different people. And then Chuck Schumer walks in the room and he promises something to Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi just upends everything. It's like, no, there's no strategy. He is not smart there's no plan and he is not uh you know there's nothing deep going on in his brain it's just second to second what is good for donald trump in ways that are self-destructive and don't even help him have good popularity win re-election get anything passed have a good legacy well here's a great example of that right so democrats uh, were proposing like okay so you know look at the build back better plan right now Bernie Sanders was talking about spending $10 trillion or something like that. A lot of Democrats were talking about $6 trillion. Even more Democrats were talking $3 trillion. We are now currently spending $1.2 trillion on infrastructure, and they're debating $1.75 trillion or whatever for the current Build Back Better plan. Um, so the fact that like when people say Donald Trump was smart and provided for the American people, it's like the fact that Donald Trump couldn't get infrastructure done when he had every single Democrat ready to vote for it just yeah. says right there like <laughs> right. how stupidly politically inept you are. When you have a blank check from Democrats 
who a year later were open to spending 10 fucking trillion dollars and you couldn't do anything to, you know, I mean, like, look at like the way we, you know, treated the um, the quarantine and the first checks that went out. You know, they what did they spend? 500 billion or something like that. Um, and like the amount of checks that went in to the American people, Democrats would have doubled or tripled it and they didn't do it. Like that right there is amazing to me, especially in an election year. Republicans and Trump had a blank check from Democrats to spend whatever the fuck they wanted in an election year to combat a nonpartisan COVID epidemic that was affecting the entire world and killing three to 4,000 Americans a day. And they didn't do it and couldn't get it done. That, That to me is just amazing. So when people say, oh, Donald Trump is smarter than everyone thinks. It's like, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, here's, here's another r- quick rant I want to do because I was listening to this podcast and Niall Ferguson, you know, he's kind of like a conservative, was British, now he's American, but he's like a financial tech writer on a lot of stuff. He, he made this point that people don't give Donald Trump credit for COVID and that the bigger reality was that it was like a healthcare, medical uh, kind of, uh, you know, failure of the American people and that people don't give credit uh, to Trump for like- <laughs> Yeah, it was the American people's fault. Yeah. No, no, no. It, no, but it was like the medical community's fault or whatever. And that is so fucking bullshit. I hear this a lot from people saying, oh, well, Trump gets credit for the, you know, warp speed. And like Trump fucking got involved at all with warp speed. Do you think he read the fucking bill? He just put his signature on it. And it was the one thing that they could get because they scared him early on before he managed to turn everything into a political fuck you fest. Like even wearing masks that he wouldn't do, he wouldn't get people to, you know, it's like he fucking, you know, even if you gave him credit, like the vaccine, even if you called it Trumpacil or whatever, like the vaccine, Trump did not publicly take it. He did not, you know, make a big picture and production of him getting, you know, allegedly his own vaccine. And it's his fucking voters um, that aren't taking it and dying to the point where like the greatest correlation of people dying from COVID matches up perfectly with like a county by county map of whether the voters voted for Trump or Biden, right? All of the, like the vast majority not the majority rather but like the way higher percentage of people dying are in red districts so i hear that a lot and the media just kind of you know glosses over it and doesn't like argue about it but no that is so not true donald trump does not get credit for covid at all and it's not the medical community that failed us donald trump every chance he got politicized the uh, every fucking talking point and all of those times he gets up on the podium just saying shit and all the doctors are like covering their faces with their hands because he's such an idiot shot in secret remember exactly and that's what i'm saying it's like it's <laughs> even if you say it's his shot like he didn't want to take the shot he didn't tell his voters to get the shot his biggest supporters today are refusing the shot and like arguing with like minimum wage employees about wearing a mask to go and get you know fucking groceries or whatever oh well, that's, that's so frustrating media because the media is now blaming biden saying biden can't get the pandemic under control oh my god i know <laughs> It's like, imagine if everybody was walking around eating dog shit that they found on the floor, and then the media is like, Biden can't get people to stop eating dog shit. Yeah, it's because, like, how is he going yeah, to get them to stop doing that? They right. they won't stop putting it in their mouth. You know what I mean? Because Sean Hannity every day is like, oh, dog shit, so tasty. I love it. We're selling dog shit on my radio program. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, Biden can't convince Fox News voters to stop eating dog shit. Yeah, only sheep will eat real food. <laughs> yeah. 
That's so dumb. Although yeah, I did see up. one positive news uh, update is apparently it's like the percentage of people who say they will never likely never get the vaccine is down to like 13% or something. So I guess that's kind of a nice thing. I guess more and more people are like experiencing a loved one or known person die from COVID well, and or getting it themselves. 13% of the population is still like 39 million people though. Yeah, but I mean, when you get to the herd immunity, weren't they saying like 80%, 85%? I mean, let's say yeah. everyone else got the vaccine <laughs> within a year or two. Like at least at that point, then we're at that like herd men, almost herd mentality level. But hey, Which is really funny too. That, I mean, it's sad to think about too. The way with the vaccine works is that like the, I mean, hopefully there's not like we already have like the lambda delta variants. Like hopefully there's not a more uh, virulent, um, uh, you know, strain of the COVID nineteen um, virus that goes around. But I think the issue too is that like America and and other countries have done this. The human like well, you could not have designed a worse way to handle the vaccine than the way America did under Trump's leadership. Right? We have a vaccine, and then you tell people not to take it. So then everyone who took the vaccine may have possibly done it for no reason. If like another strain pops up that beats the vac the the vaccine, right? You know, thankfully they're working on pills now and stuff that you can just take a pill and get the same effects as the vaccine and obviously getting pills and taking them oh yeah a pill after you're infected so you can take the pill after you start facing uh symptoms which is kind of cool but i mean that's like the funniest thing too is like people blame biden for like the way the country's going but you know biden is telling everyone to get the fucking shot and then like you know be safe and then you have like 30 percent of the country just saying fuck y'all don't care (laughs) we're gonna ruin the vaccine we don't care like i mean it's it's kind of funny it's like every in every way people think the country's going in the wrong way i mean it's like i mean i'll I'll say this i think it's the american people's fault like i don't think biden is at fault for the fact that people won't get the shot i don't think biden is at fault because of the way we put all of our factories in china and then when factories closed down because of covid we stopped getting shit like yeah that's not biden's fault and it's kind of annoying because the media gets into the who's winning who's losing on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis and then it's like oh biden huge loss no one's doing his mandates people are rebelling and then oh it's biden's fault covid's not over (laughs) it's like well that's not like uh you know well i mean well that's the thing is the media you know leads to tipping points that establish and like you know validate the current narrative being talked about right so like when biden approval ratings go down and then the media is talking about oh biden can't get a handle on his approval ratings or the country thing it's like yeah because you are saying that every day unrelated to what's actually happening right because i mean this is a this is a funny thing too and this goes for most media stations it's like when you're actually like if you go to the media station like the the people running the media station whether it's cnn msnbc like they're watching what other networks are saying right so like it is an obvious fact that like the media comes up with these narratives and they're almost self-fulfilling over time. And then you see this with independent journalists because, you know, a lot of independent journalists don't pick up the phone and actually call people or have contacts at the White House like, you know, CNN will or like the New York Times. And then all these independent journalists who think they're above the fray and they're independent, but they're just quoting New York Times stories and quoting CNN or responding to what MSNBC or Fox News said. So they are literally also just doing the same thing and, you know, self-fulfilling these narratives of what's going on and how the world is, you know, um, you know, being described by them. Yeah, that is annoying. Um, 
in sadder news for COVID, I did see an NPR article the other day talking about how COVID is like rampant in uh, American, like North American deer populations. And apparently it doesn't appear to make them sick, but they're worried that this will be like a giant reservoir for COVID to spread deer to deer to like, like an insane amount. And then back to humans probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a reservoir to change and (laughs) mutate and then go back into humans. You know, it, you're talking about like the, the obstinacy to get a vaccine or wear a mask. Like what if it gets to the point where like they're saying, hey, all you rednecks, don't eat deer. <laughs> like, fuck you, I'm eating deer. And then you just, they all die from eating like tainted deer meat filled with like the deadliest form of COVID. <laughs> you know, that's like I mean, hunting season is coming up. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of fucked up. But yeah, apparently in the article, they were saying like an alarmingly high number of deer that they catch, like have COVID or whatever. So it's like, well, that's not good. <laughs> you know, it's like spreading like wild wildfire um so that's yeah why don't we just give covid to every kind of animal that we live in close proximity to and see if it can come back to humans right well i mean you know (laughs) what could go wrong remember they had to kill uh, in like denmark or belgium one of those countries remember they had to kill all those minks or ferrets or whatever they had like some giant mink farm that all got covid and they had to kill like forget it was like hundreds of thousands or maybe even like a maybe not a million but like huge amount of the animals because they were susceptible to covid yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you do with that, right? Like, we have that problem all the time. It d- done a lot of, like, um, like uh, SARS and stuff come from, like, deer and stuff. Yeah. Or not like, deer. Yeah. I'm sorry. Not deer. Uh, isn't it, like, bird birds, flu? Yeah, That's birds. what I meant to say. Bird yeah. flu, yeah. I remember being a kid in, like, early 2000s reading about those all the time. Like, oh, no, bird flu. They, you know, China and all these Asian countries have to kill hundreds of millions of birds or ducks or whatever. Yeah. Kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah yeah what's well, like a weird thing with uh biology and just like um you know that's actually a, a plug for like the environmental movement the fact that we're destroying habitats for animals and then they live closer proximity to humans and then you know you end up especially with this thing with bats people don't typically live next to giant caves where Filled millions bats. of bats yeah. live yeah but then like i mean i remember when covid first broke out they were talking about like how like people in china go to these bat caves and just look around and it's like that's literally how you know a virus like covid would literally be passed and vectored to humans now you know that's unrelated to the lab leak theory but other than how COVID-19 specifically started which I think they're you know probably leading towards like the lab leak theory either way the fact that we live in such close close proximity to things like bats literally means this will probably happen again oh yeah, yeah all those researchers like literally going into bat caves to scoop up bat poop like that could also be how, you know, something like COVID-19 starts. So, yeah. I mean, that's an environmental problem that we're, you know, basically going to probably keep suffering from, from, you know, more urban sprawl and destroying of the environment and living in closer proximity to all kinds of animals that we have no business or reason to live next to other than the fact that we've ruined their habitats and they start, you know, adapting to live in human societies. Yeah. Um, this is going to change the subject a little bit, but I wanted to bring it up. Uh, Josh Hawley. <laughs> made big waves this week talking about how uh his new i guess political uh crusade is about masculinity and uh he claims that too many men are wasting all their time and not doing anything productive and you know like spending their time watching porn and playing video games (laughs) what's your hot take on this little uh kerfluffle (laughs) well i think um I think him talking about masculinity while being the world's biggest bitch for donald trump is kind of rich (laughs) I can't like, say he's the biggest very... bitch, but I mean, he clearly like he, he, he like literally gave a, you know, a fist sign to a, a group of insurrectionist rioters moments before they, you know, threatened no, to I mean, kill all say, the all say Congress. He's a big bitch. 
I'll say he's a big bitch because he knows for a fucking fact that Arizona didn't steal the election for Joe Biden and the same for Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's probably When true. he was going to contest all these electoral votes, he's being a fucking bitch. You know what I mean? Or, you know, maybe think of it this way. He's being a crybaby, you know? We get it. Your side lost. Like, you know, is it really masculine to basically sacrifice our political system and, like, the... Um, I mean, look at, like, how the January 6th is being... You know, treated different populations of America. I shouldn't say population. That's a weird way to say that. But different um, groups of Americans, right? They're literally like leading to the kind of political infighting and hatred that happened in like Yugoslavia that led to their breakup, and then like you know, you know, terrible you know violence being waged against different groups of humans, right? Like, I don't think it's very masculine, and you know, to um, you know, lead to that kind of hate. That's not a very, you know, good thing to do. I mean, it's kind of, I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling here, but like the fact that he's so worried about, um, you know, masculinity and how this country is treating men is pretty weird since like he's basically trying to join along with other Republicans and devastating, ruining yeah, the country. Yeah, yeah. And a big thing he said is about taking responsibility. And it's like, bitch, did you take responsibility yeah. after you just gave a fist to like literally like the worst insurrection riot since like, you know, the <laughs> yeah, British what, came in and invaded us in 1812. There, ramble. <laughs> yeah. Responsibility, yeah. It's Talk so about, dumb. I mean, that's like the whole libertarian Republican mantra is being responsible for your own actions as if any Republican has been responsible for oh, I know. the last yeah. five years. Like Ted Cruz, you know, like going to fucking uh, Mexico when his state is like literally people are dying and they like and blames it, it. Yeah, blames it on his like wife and daughters needing like a break or whatever you know like he he liked that twitter porn video and then blamed it on a staffer like you think yeah republicans do not take any of their medicine that they're trying to prescribe on all of america on so many issues and this one's so dumb i you know it's like what do you think about his i guess like independent of josh Hawley, what do you think about the idea that like I, I think it has to do, it's like a culture wedge thing about like masculinity going down. And I guess it's that kind of like the kind of Christian ideal idea of like the man being in control of everything. And now like with Me Too and like, you know, women, uh, you know, kind of taking power that they deserve and should have had like What's centuries it? ago. Like, do you think masculinity is actually in crisis like all these conservatives no. want to pretend? I, yeah, think I don't either. I think this gives a lot of credence to think a lot of what woke people are saying in that masculine, you know, uh, what do they, what do they call it? Uh, what are they? Oh shit. What do they say? It's like, um, masculine, the harmful Patriarchy. effects of masculine. Patriarchy. Oh, toxic masculinity. Yeah. Toxic masculinity. And then like white privilege, like, okay. So women are getting more college degrees than men. Okay. They're reversing a trend that was the other way for decades. There was a time when women couldn't even fucking go to university. So now men are going to cry that more women are getting more college degrees. Here's the funny thing. Anyone can get a fucking student loan. Anyone can go to any number of for-profit or educational colleges. You know, there's no end to education you can get. So you're going to cry that more women are getting college degrees or that colleges are going out of their way to let more people of color in who have been like literally disenfranchised for decades or centuries. Like, I mean, I think the whole thing is a stupid argument. The fact that like somehow men are being oppressed by society or white men. Like, I mean, I think this gives good credence to what woke people are saying about toxic masculinity and white privilege, right? The fact that the, the fact that like, 
seeing more black people at college around you or seeing more women get college degrees makes you sad and think the world's going to shit well then like yeah that's your problem you know what i mean yeah like, yeah it's not so the true. rest of society's fault that you're a you know a some kind of sexist or racist moron who thinks men should be in charge of everything uh, you know whether yeah. it be the highest paying jobs ceos managers or even head of the family like that's on you not the world right and the fact that you're going to cry about it and that josh holly's going to make that his signature you know political goal right now i mean it's just stupid i don't there's no other way to describe it it's just stupid it makes no sense yeah i i totally agree also it's like read the room is that like who who really is like thinking that that's like is is that what he's gonna like campaign on in 2024 for his presidential campaign like masculinity well i mean what's the demographic he's trying to get to win a primary like incels is that what are you gonna are you gonna base your political ideology on like what incels want and need I don't know if he's really going for incels, but I think that's the the whole point of why his idea. Well, is no, stupid. obviously he's not going for that, but I think. That's well, yeah, like, but I think the, that's I think that's why his his whole like ideological idea that this is a pressing matter is stupid because yeah, obviously like the biggest problem in society right now is kind of like this incel movement, this like hardcore nationalist movement that they can't get any women and they're like unfuckable like losers and so that the only thing they have going for them is that they're white and they have this white brotherhood of unfuckable losers and now they're just going to reenact like wear crusader armor and pretend that like you know like christianized european ideal of world uh like culture needs to like or buying buying camo from thrift stores yeah military surplus stores and then dressing up and having an ar-15 right you can't get a date and it it gets into that like white replacement idea of like our society is being replaced and ruined like we need to take it back and make you know it's like the the recent comments from uh michael flynn saying that uh you know we need to be a christian nation like only christian nation and it's like literally it's like watching a white like american taliban or isis you know form you know they're already they're wearing guns they have the american flag and a lot of them have a bible you know it's like when you, when you have that kind of iconography it's like really no different than like isis you know with a Quran well, and guns and the, the yeah. white trucks you know going well, here's around. another problem and i think this goes back to our earlier discussion it's just that like whose fault is this all the problems in society is that like i think and this is probably safe to say of most history is that like society is perennially and just constantly you know uh, filled with crybabies. They cry about everything. They cry that government's not solving every problem fast enough. They cry about how, oh, there's too many people of color getting college. Yeah. I mean, they just cry about all kinds of stupid shit. And it's probably no different than the 1930s of crybabies talking about how the Jews control everything. And, oh, why are the Jews making more money than us? Or You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, every aspect of society that people complain about, I think, is immaturity and just some degree. I mean, I don't know. Am I? Do you think I'm off base by just calling everybody throughout human history a crybaby? Kind kind of. I mean, I think it's kind of valid. But I mean, you get to the point where it's like the natural ramifications of what they're saying, right? Because like I've I've been traveling a lot uh, for work. Well, hold on, real quick. Sorry to interrupt. No, let me finish this idea. Like I spent a month in Texas, right? (laughs) And in Texas, yeah. like everywhere you go, there's interracial marriages, there's mixed kids everywhere of all kinds of different like mixed ethnicities. You know, like how much of like what's the percentage of population in Texas of Hispanics right now? And it's the fastest growing demographic, right? So if you're talking about like the great replacement and you don't want any, I guess 
you know, they always, they, they kowtow what they're saying and like couch it as saying like, oh, we don't want any new illegal immigrants. But it's like, we're like, you know, there's so many Mexicans in America and it's like by far the biggest birth rate in America. So this is only going to change, right? And most of them are legal citizens. They're born here. They're American. They consider themselves American. They're straight up American. So like the natural ramifications of thinking we're a white Christian ethno state, right? The natural ramification to actually make good on that, like, how do you get away from having concentration camps and killing a lot of people, right? You can't deport... Or kicking everyone out. Yeah, well, I mean, like, you literally can't do that. You couldn't even just do that in one state like Texas, right? And, yeah. and like, how, where do you draw the line? Like, these interracial kids, like, they're half white. Like, do they all got to go? It's just, like, what... Like, the whole idea of, like, this incel idea of, like, the great replacement and taking back America, even making America great again to a certain extent is kind of, like, you know... They'll not, they won't admit it, but like on a, even on a superficial level, it's obviously talking about race, right? Like when was America well, great, say, you know, but it's like, I'll how do you make America, no. I'll say the make America great again platform is just one of, you know, crying, right? For example, oh, for sure. they won because the, fundamentally they won the it's great for everyone. They cried about it. Yeah. For fundamentally right now, America is better than ever before for almost everybody except white men. Right. So make America great again. That's like you're going backward in time and making it worse again for almost everybody, unless you're a white man. Yeah, well, that's a weird thing, because like that would be that's an interesting conversation to kind of have. Right. So, like, for example, if you talk about like utility for a country like, okay, white people are less well off comparatively. But that's like, are they, were they really better off when they lived in a country where people were being lynched and there was racism that like kept certain groups of people from even voting? Like, that's an interesting thing where like, I guess it, I understand that you're mad that you can't have like a job that pays a lot of money. But like, that's here's an interesting thing. So I think what people and I'm taking this from uh, like a little different podcast I heard, but uh Oh, who was it? Um, I can't remember. Anyway, they were talking about how, like, when people think about the past and how how great it used to be, they're such, like, rose-covered, you know, rose-tinted glasses in that, like, it was a tiny 15-year period of time where things were comparatively better than the 30s and 40s and everyone thought it was awesome. But, like, even by standards of living, the times that people think about, like, weren't that great because, like, people's standard of living included like one car, a microwave and a color TV, right? So I think like when people think of the past and think of how great things were, I mean, it's such a weird way of just not internalizing how society actually was. And like even by standard of living, it was still kind of shitty, right? Um, so I'm just, I don't know, I'm kind of confused by this idea of how white people aren't better off or white men aren't better off. Like I kind of disagree with that premise and the only way it makes sense is proportionally. And if you're going to argue that proportionally white men are worse off, then I think it's not fair to ignore why they were better off than other people proportionally and, and what kind of society that was. And to me, I think that like that making that argument really doesn't make sense, especially like pre, you know, 1965 Civil Rights Act when black people couldn't vote. So I'm just confused, I guess, historically and just like logically 
about how people make that argument and what it even means. Because when people talk about, oh, a white man used to be able to just have a home and support his family of four, it's like, yeah, but that's because they didn't own anything. They had one car and a TV and a microwave and they thought times were good, right? They got a vacation because they got a couple of vacation days, right? And that their kids didn't have to go work in the mines at age 12 because their hands could fit better in machinery or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I'm confused about this whole argument. And I mean... I mean, does that make sense? Like, I, I'm just, I don't know. The more you think about it, it like, I don't know. Maybe people are just crying again. I mean, no, maybe that's crying. my takeaway from this argument is that half, like most of this country and most of our politics is just crybaby politics. I don't know. No, I don't know of how course. Else to describe I it. mean, like fundamentally, if you think about why life was good for white men in the 50s and the 40s, right? You have to really, you, I mean, it, you can't divorce that from the reality that things were so great because millions of white men fought in World War II, came back, got federal subsidies for a house, got free college from the GI Bill yeah. to start a career, and then had a super high minimum wage thanks to... With strong unions. Yeah, with strong unions. So they got all of these protections. And like, if you look at that now, all of these things that we do not have, right? And like, you have to realize when people are saying, oh, we want America to be great again, what they're really saying is returning to like the biggest era of democratic like modern democratic liberal governance that we may have ever had in america and it's like what you're what you're saying is to make great america great again and go back to that time is basically saying let's have a full democratic utopia and go back to that which i don't think most republicans and conservatives who really love donald trump really have any historical or like i guess socioeconomic awareness of like everything that you think made you great and from what you see on all of these like nostalgic television shows showing american prosperity that you watch reruns of on like nick at night now right (laughs) you know it's like all these things that you're watching is like literally the complete opposite like uh political situation that you want and vote for now yeah i mean i agree with that 100 percent. like if we actually lived like we did in the 50s and society looked that way you know if you could completely parse out all the uh terrible social you know um oppression of marginalized groups and stuff like um well first off a lot of the way they live didn't even make sense right like the average company now couldn't afford pensions for all of their workers like imagine amazon was having some kind of unionized pension system where hundreds of thousands of workers were entitled to work at that company for 30 years get a gold watch and then retire with a actual pension like that that's not even possible anymore and that was kind of a fluke of the american economy in the 50s when you know the rest of the world was still devastated by world war ii to some degree like so i mean there's so many aspects of this it just doesn't make sense so i mean it's maybe it's an interesting like historical discussion or something or like the psychology of people who i I don't know it's like the psychology of um people who uh reminisce about the past they didn't live and understand well it's it's essentially nostalgia because you're basically just remembering positive things that like you're i mean it's divorced from reality it's not reality you're just remembering all of these things that have you know that are just the most positive things about your childhood that you've seen change and maybe you don't like because you know like all old people see the world change and don't like how the youth how like young people do things and like their fads and interests and things like that and are like afraid of change or obstinate to well change. yeah <laughs> well i mean plus like think of like what our foreign policy was too when people look back at the early 50s like were they did they internalize the korean war and that 
people were getting drafted and sent to Korea <laughs> to freeze in a shitty and fight the communist Chinese. You know, hundreds of thousands of Chinese soldiers who swarmed over the river. <laughs> and yeah, attacked American forces like. I mean, plus, and it's like yeah, you think of all these. Think about that. You think of all these wedge issues of like you know, like especially like critical race theory and all the race things, like anti Colin Kaepernick, anti all the you know, like big Hollywood and big corporations pandering to minorities and things like that. It's like okay, you're sick of that now. You want to go back to the '50s when like you had your whites only counters and pools and water fountains, and then you see a black person protesting and using you know like what you you like your white stuff, right? Is that what you want, or would you rather just have Colin Kaepernick kneeling to himself? alone you know at the beginning of a football game like you know it's like i guess it gets back into like how out of proportion people make like modern day culture battle stuff compared to the 50s and stuff it's like so different you know it's like you know it's like do you want like uh malcolm x and like all you know like uh you know being like the kind of like you know potential black savior it's like I'm rambling now a little bit, but it's like, you know, all these, yeah, I don't know where you're going all these people who are truly racist, they're like all these microaggressions that they get pissed off about, you know, but it's like, you, I mean, society was in way more turmoil back, you know, 50 years ago. And again, it's like, oh. you want to go back and force all these people into a way worse standard of living and like reinstall segregation, like by force. Well, like that makes no sense. Say things like, well, I don't mean it like that. And then right. Like, well, that's then like, what do you mean? It yeah. By? But it's like the natural ramification of what you're saying. And I think this gets into it. This is like the last main point I wanted to bring up today. It's like this, I heard this interesting podcast of this conservative who basically was an economically populist, kind of a liberal, like an economically liberal guy, uh, super conservative and libertarian outside of the idea. Like he was like very Christian. Uh, but he was basically saying that like all of these Republicans and conservatives, they have all of these very serious lamentations and the, like they rue how society has changed so that you can't have women stay at home, raise kids. You can't have only the like the dad, the man be the sole breadwinner. And that like all these things like religions going down, families going down, the nuclear families ending, all these things. And so you have all these conservatives com bitching and complaining and crying about this stuff. But then they just say, oh, that's too bad. And then they don't do anything that would actually allow these kinds of trends to come back in family life right and a lot of that he says is uh like economic policy so this guy despite mm -hmm. being super christian conservative was basically like bernie sanders saying like we need obviously a higher minimum wage we need more health care all these things that will actually maybe allow families to like get together like start having kids younger bigger families stay together you know have a nuclear family that's actually very successful and doesn't disintegrate because of like socioeconomic pain and suffering you know what do you think about that i thought that's an interesting idea because it really is true it's like a it's like a logically coherent idea for the nuclear family that actually you know it's not just saying we need we need to force people to have this christian lifestyle when they're doing everything they can to have all of these economic forces destroy uh the nuclear family well yeah depressed wages obviously means more people in the family have to work if they have low-paying jobs like imagine if so minimum wage is 725 if you doubled it you could effectively mean that a family two family members working minimum wage jobs could get the same money with one job. So, I mean, you have that element, right? So the yeah. same as if, you know, if you raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, then other people not doing minimum wage work will also get raise increases that'll far surpass uh, inflation. 
another aspect is like things like uh, health insurance, right? So our health insurance system being provided by, you know, your work is stupid and comes from a specific time in history and specific choices being made during World War II. And a, a big issue with that is just the fact that like health insurance has become so important as we've learned more about health and nutrition and that there's so many more ways to help people uh, get over things that would have killed them in the past, right? And that's a problem. So the fact that like you have to work to get health insurance without paying massive amounts of money without some federal system that can really give cheap health care to poor people or unemployed people or people who want to stay at home. Like, I mean, that's so I mean, I, I agree 100% with that premise that like all of our choices that we make about economic policy are leading to the things that these conservatives are hate. Right. Yeah. Low minimum wage means more family. It's more likely that more family members will have to get a job to support their family, no matter how many kids they have. Having zero, you know, you know, like, for example, uh, you know, in Europe, you have countries that give tons of money to people who have kids to, to support the family and it incentivizes people to have kids. We have none of that here in America. So, like, no shit. If it's like an economic decision, fewer people will make that in the affirmative. Yeah. You know, you know I shouldn't say affirmative, but, yeah. you know, have kids. Part of Biden's plan was to, you know, instead of having the end of the year tax rebate, just start giving families like $300 extra <laughs> per month ahead of time. So you don't have to, like, uh -huh. just wait for tax season. Like, and the, obviously Republicans hate that and don't want to keep that going and build uh, what's uh, Joe Manchin is like trying to gut that part out of you know like the human infrastructure plan of like build back better but like that like that's what you have to do if you want families to stay together and thrive and you know I mean it's it's so fascinating because it's like you know the Republican Party like the National Republican Party and even like at the state level most Republicans like their entire socioeconomic ethos is like like let's have no minimum wage you know that'll that'll really get a lot of jobs you know created because if you don't have a minimum wage let's have no health care at the national level and gut obamacare and kill that right uh let's have uh let's cut all these like regulations on like office you know work safety and i i've written a lot about this because a lot of like republican ideas of like gutting regulations and stuff you're basically just kicking the can down the road so that companies can save money by screwing over and maiming and killing their workers and then at the end of that right it's people being on unemployment and or disability and social security right so like all of these republican things to save money from the government by cutting these things and letting corporations have whatever they want and no taxes to make sure corporations protect people uh you're basically just passing on all of those costs to the government at the end yep. rather than the corporations 100%. at the beginning which is kind of dumb well that's like a, that's like the i mean here's like, for example, Republicans hate food stamps and they think it makes people weak and dependent on the government. Why don't you raise minimum wage and cut food stamps? You literally don't need food stamps if you make companies pay people a yeah, right. wage, right? Think of how much money that would save, which ironically is not that much because people overestimate how much money the federal budget goes to food stamps and how many people are on welfare and how many services and amount of goods they get from welfare from, like, food stamps. But yeah. the fact still, like, like minimum wage, or, sorry, um, having a low minimum wage and um, food stamps basically incentivizes companies to pay people like shit, which ironically ruins that American family, you know, uh, image that you want to create for the entire country. I mean... I mean, you could spend an hour talking about how most people and the way the government works does not incentivize the things that politicians want. <laughs> um, and I think that's one of the greatest examples, right? 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. you could do the same thing with like, you know, you could increase taxes on the rich people a little higher and then just decrease them for poor people. You know what I mean? Like if you want more middle class people and poor people to have more money to set the like set up the families or have the kind of living standards you want, there's a hundred million different ways. Like so as someone in like the public policy realm, like the fact that like every problem we have has pretty simple solutions and like the fact that like no one can think of them or that like none of those solutions could ever make it through this congress like that's a problem and i think that's partially on the american people too because we vote you know i'm going to say this nitwits (laughs) who you know can win a primary but don't know shit about public policy or how to solve problems yeah i mean you i think that's like the kind of death spiral of the republican party right now and that's why you have like a lot like a good size of like the Republican intellectuals and conservative intellectuals going back like three or four decades now are like basically Democrats at this point because they want Republicans to lose because it's such a death spiral of like stupid fascism and stupid culture war stuff. Like you get like, you know, like Jimmy Kimmel just had a great bit about, uh, uh, what's her name? Lauren Boebert. He was literally just yeah. showcase. He, he he basically had like some report, like field journal, not journalist, but you know, person like producer go out and just repeat verbatim what she actually says. And then they said that, did you see this? They said it was an SNL bit making fun of Lauren Boebert and asking people what they thought. And everyone's like, oh, I think SNL went a little tough. I mean, that, that might be a little over the top ridiculous. <laughs> and it's like, no, this is literally what she said. It's like clips of her saying like, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, stop spending money. She gave birth in a car. <laughs> it's like really stupid things. And it's like you get all of these Republicans, especially in their primaries, but even their general election races, like their whole like reason to run and their entire identity is just them pulling out a gun and shooting something with like Nancy Pelosi written on it or like blowing up a car <laughs> with a rocket launcher. Like so fucking stupid. But like that's what wins you the Republican primary is just I'm going to blow up this car with a gun and I'm going to promise you I will not i will not agree to any limitation no matter how minuscule on uh you know like letting fucking mentally ill people who threaten to kill their wives like in the police station on record you know i won't stop them from getting a gun it's like so stupid well that's the problem is that trump can show uh trump has showed that like uh someone like that can win national elections and obviously people like lauren lauren uh bobart or like marjorie taylor green like you know people always joke that like by the time a political party loses a third <laughs> presidential election they realize they have to change and you know that would have been had hillary won uh <laughs> thanks yeah. Joe stein but like the fact that like republicans have won a national election recently with these crazy people basically you know well, we're a minimum of eight years away from that, you know, yeah. changing in any concrete way. Well, I mean, they're, um, they're doubling so. down because of like they want the minority, the minority party, like full control of government. But like you look at it, at the the uh, the popular vote level, you would think like Republican higher ups would be a little concerned that Republicans have won the popular vote one time since 19, like uh, since uh, what, 1988. Right. Yeah, they won George W. Bush won the popular vote. Um, and that was it. <laughs> Yeah, like literally, how many elections is that? Eight elections that they've won one time? Years. And now they're now they're just doubling down and saying, no, the solution is we need Republican state control of all of our elections so that when these cities come out with big votes, we'll just say that's they're all fraud. And uh, they'll, they'll basically just sue all of these votes and muddy it up past the point where like the slate of electors have to go. And then they can just appoint their own like electors who will say, nope, we won no matter what the actual vote is. So, I mean, that's like, you get this like, 
I mean, not only is it, a, it's been a death spiral of like stupidity since like 2000, where you had like the big scare of terrorism and you have to wear a flag lape, like lapel pin every chance you get. And it's like, just, well, you know. That was probably more 2004 than 2000. But yeah, in, in, yeah, in yeah, 2008, yeah, right. they were still using, you know, 9 11 in advertisements in the 2008 election. Oh, yeah, of course. But it's like the death Milking spiral. That for all it was worth. The death spiral of intelligence because you had eight years you know, pretending George W. Bush was like a genius, no matter what the evidence shows. And then they spent eight years pretending Obama was like some kind of an antichrist communist, well, actually, despite what the evidence you know, shows. There's an interesting evolution of that, because from my memory anyway, like it wasn't so much that George W. Bush was a genius. It was that it didn't matter how stupid he was or how stupid his policies were. Now, George W. Bush wasn't really that stupid as a human, but some of his policies were bad and led to bad outcomes. However, the thing that they said was that it didn't matter because he kept us safe, which is a pretty, you know, shitty thing to, uh, you know, base your entire political ideology and support for a well, know, objectively yes no. bad president. I mean, Fox News, I mean, that's really where they went deep into the, like, dive deep into the, the, the deep end of the pool of, like, we can't give Democrats... A- like any uh we can't give them an inch on any issue or talking point yeah no matter what it is they are wrong and no matter what they accuse of us they're wrong and no matter what they criticize us and they're they're anti-american and unpatriotic yeah and they're anti-america for pointing out any of these things that we're either wrong uh bad about or uh you know maliciously doing I mean, and now, it, you know, it, it kind of spiraled into now we're just into this like hyper partisan, bad faith, everything where, you know, it's like, you know, we raise minimum wage by a penny and it's like it's a communist takeover. The socialists have won. Joe, you know, I mean, it's, you know, to the point now where you can't even set like, you know, that Jimmy Kimmel bit I was talking about. You can't even satirize them because anything you satirize yeah. them is like relatively believable and or not believable enough because it'll actually be worse, right? You're like, satire is like too tame for someone like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene or uh, Bobert or, you know, like Kevin McCarthy, right? Like that, you know, uh, Adam Schiff was telling all these stories about like how Kevin McCarthy just straight up, he'll have a conversation and then go tell the media the complete opposite of what he said and just tell Adam Schiff, hey, yeah. you know how it goes. And it's like, no, I don't know how it goes. You just fucking straight up lied, <laughs> you know, to, yeah. to the American people. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the interesting thing, too, is like if you look back at history, there's always been stupid people, especially in the House of Representatives. Like I, I like there's so many funny stories of wild people from the frontier who were elected to Congress when like Western states. <laughs> yeah. States. And like the problem, though, is that like the next likely speaker of the House of Representatives is one of those people and that he has to you know that he is actually dominated by these French people because they have most of the media narrative around them, especially in Republican circles. And and and, and like, you know, the fact that like you know all you have to do to really get support and money from republican you know donors and republican voters is like just like have an ad where you're like somehow killing aoc <laughs> and like that's that's a pretty it's like it's not even hyper partisanship it's just like wacko land you know what i mean yeah yeah for sure there's like it would be one thing if like you were against everything aoc said and like you hated her policies but the fact that like you have ads of you killing her like that's like i mean it's just it's crazy yeah, you're talking about that Paul Gosar guy. He actually, yeah. following, like, right after that, his his family, by the way, hates him. And I, I heard this, like, interview with his sister, like, on MSNBC of 
of his sister basically saying he's like mentally unwell and he should not be in government and uh like he is absolutely terrible and like there's no reason he should win re-election ever again and he should probably get kicked out of the uh out of congress you know like nancy pelosi should like literally kick him out um well yeah and i think like you've heard some i've heard so many like past republicans who served in the in congress who obviously aren't in elected government right now, but have said like if anything like that would have happened in the 80s or the 90s or even the early 2000s, they would have been like censured. They would have lost their committee seats. They probably would have been told to resign. They probably would have had RNC pull support from their campaign for their reelection, et cetera. And like, yep, that's not happening anymore. Yeah, now it's like they don't even like they don't even pretend to have that. Like you know, like what does Kevin McCarthy do about any of this stuff? Just shrug. Like, does yeah. he even shrug anymore? That's how I, think it is. He, I think he shrugged like three years ago, but now it's just like, uh, no, like they're right. And they doubled down on everything. And it's so frustrating too. It's like, um, that's what's frustrating about Virginia is like, the, how can you have like a 10 point win by Biden and then just swing completely the opposite way of all these, uh, you know, like it's, it's interesting. I was thinking about this because it's like the hyper-partisan and polarization really kind of only appears to be working with Republicans. Democrats are not so polarized and Democrats keep losing elections like at the state level. And again, you know, I guess, you know, what degree of this is just that apathy and lack of participation and vote get out. But I mean, you would think like, you know, for so pol- I, I guess the polarization really is only really the hyper polarization is only in the minds of conservatives, I guess. Because I yeah, mean, they're, I they're like I the mean, loyal. Th- that's the common thing. It's like, well, you know, Democrats have to fall in love. Republicans fall in line. And it's like they're I mean, like, you know, uh, Doug Jones just barely won in Alabama from uh, what was that guy? Roy Moore who's like literally like yeah. a straight up sex offender, like like prowling the malls for decades to pick up 14 year olds. You know, it's like, I mean, at this point, like if someone came, was caught in a sex scene with like a farm animal, right? I think Republicans would still vote for them, right? Yeah. Like Roy Moore well, lost yeah. like by a, like a percentage point. Well, that's an <laughs> interesting issue about hyperpartisanship is the fact that like Biden, you know, can't, rely on 100% Democrat support for everything he does, like right there shows that there's a little more maturity and, and interest in policy making from Democrats and the Republicans, yeah, right? Nuance the fact complexity. that like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's clearly different moderate and progressive wings and they disagree. And like, that's part of the policy process we've seen with the uh, Build Back Better plan, um, trying to get the moderates in the House to go along with the infrastructure bill. And then, you know, Chris yeah. is doing whatever the hell she's doing. But then like, you know, Joe Manchin's at least you know, as a Democrat from, you know, a plus 30, you know, plus 30 Republican state, uh, you know, he's got different interests and you're seeing that play out in politics. You don't I mean, the hyper partisanship, you're right, is really more on one side because like uh, their entire political. Um, I don't know what I'm their their entire um, political operating operation. I don't even know what I'm saying, but basically everything they do is just hyper like in yeah. line with whatever the party is doing. Now that's an interesting but, thought when you talk about the debate because when Trump was president and Republicans had the full control of the government uh, for two years, like in the beginning of his first term, you like you didn't see any of these policy debates at all from Republicans, right? Like on their big tax bill. Like, where were the where were the arguments, right? Like, Paul Ryan just kind of worked and worked and worked and then came out with this bill and they all voted for it, right? Isn't that, well, I'm sure with it? a lot of lobbyist support, too. The problem is I don't think a lot of Republicans care. They just want lower taxes. They don't care how it's done. 
Yeah, I guess that's true. But I mean, like on infrastructure, there were no, there's no like giant debates. Like the Republicans just kind of like all have this monolithic, you know, block voting for or against, depending if it's an R or a D on the top of the policy or the legislation or bill with maybe like, yeah, like plus or minus six Republicans in the House yeah, and maybe one or two senators. Right. You can maybe Senate. like in the Senate, you can maybe peel away like Murkowski and Susan Collins to vote for the discussion to hit the floor. <laughs> but outside of that, you're like, you're still not really getting their vote for the policy um i don't know anyway i guess the thesis of the uh this podcast still is like democrats are fucked and (laughs) for a litany of reasons (laughs) you know it's probably going to be a bloodbath in 2022 (laughs) it's going to be a bloodbath yeah (laughs) and then we'll have kevin mccarthy leading the house of representatives speaker of the house and then uh impeaching biden for um i don't know being alive <laughs> somehow that's unconstitutional yeah. for a democrat to be in the white house you know, I how, don't know. how many times are they going to impeach him because you know they're going to try to impeach him probably three times just to you know have that over you know over donald trump joe biden got impeached and then like if you look at it historically like are we really being mature like obviously america's spiraling down the toilet drain when two president when we start just impeaching each other's presidents multiple times <laughs> you know it's like all right clearly like our uh well what would be interesting is, is has like gone the astray of, the house will be full of uh wackos who vote to impeach biden but the question is like are 39 republicans gonna vote for it every time Senate, yeah. yeah multiple like, times how many republicans will vote for it every time yeah any other last thoughts before we uh go to the guitar solo no i think we've I think we've trailed off a couple times. So <laughs> All right. Good yeah. to All right. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks for everybody. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. This is Brain Milk, the podcast where we give liberal brain nourishment to your brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Dash McIntyre. I'm Adrian Pope. And enjoy the guitar solo. Mm-hmm.